If you would take your scriptures and turn with me to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1, we'll be reading the entire chapter. Ephesians 1, would you give ear to the reading of God's word? Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved, in him, We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you, have, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things in the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning to learn from your word. We are laid low in the dust. Preserve our lives according to your word. Let us understand the teaching of your precepts. Then we will meditate on your wonders. Keep us from deceitful ways. Be gracious to us through Jesus our Lord. We have chosen the way of truth. We have set our hearts on your word, O Lord. Do not let us be put to shame. We run in the path of your commands, for you have set our hearts free. We are free to read your word, to study it and hide it in our hearts. Help us. Help us take what we have learned this morning and grow in your grace. In Christ's name, amen. This study of Ephesians 
immediately plunges into the doctrine of election. You wonder, why? Why would the apostles start at such a negative place? Always talking about the worthlessness and helplessness of man. It can begin to get very depressing. I think that's why so many never get past some of their objections. They don't want to face the bad. Therefore, they see, never see the good. This morning, we begin looking at the good, at the joy election brings to us through redemption. Paul first introduced to you election from the viewpoint of a sovereign Lord. It was never easy for mortal man to see himself in the light of God. We want to think of ourselves as being pretty good people. I'm convinced that if you could sit, had sat down with Adolf Hitler, he would have told you he was only doing what he thought was right. In China, Mayo, after getting full control of the country, instituted his plan to make China a better place. Just after a year, that same plan, over a million people had died. At the end of two years, over five million had died. Mayo's assistants came to him after 10 million had died and asked him to change the plan. He did so only at their insistence. He believed he was doing what was needed to save China, and with enough time, he believed his plan would succeed. Do you remember Paul Pot, the Cambodian despot that killed so many? In an interview, he said he was not a bad person. He only wanted for Cambodia and her people a good life. He was working out his plan to give it to them. His work included killing many to make others accepted. He was not willing to look at the bad in himself, and neither are most people ready to do that. But that does not deter Paul from bringing God's message to a lost and dying world. He has pointed out your failure before God and your emptiness before him. He has also shown God's plan for bringing a people out of this mass of sinful humanity to himself. That plan was election. In these next verses, verses 7 through 10, we find a change, a change in the direction and what a beautifully glorious change it is. Paul explained the work of the Father in verses 3 through 6. Now, in verse 7, he begins to tell of the work of the beloved Son, Jesus Christ. We are now looking at how this election is played out here on earth. There is and always has been a very intimate and close connection between the Father and Son in this work of redemption. The Father is the one who caused the grace to flow down from heaven to his people. He makes known the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure. Now you shall see that it is the beloved, the Son, Jesus Christ, in whom you have your redemption. It is Christ who shed his blood for you. It is in the Son that the Father's purpose of grace is concentrated and under whose headship all things are brought together. God the Father is the author of your election in that he gives the new heart, he calls you from your sin into the glorious light of Jesus Christ. It's Christ who is the agent of your election. He is the one who lives the perfect life you could never live dies the atoning death necessary for your reconciliation, and wins the victory over death. 
He does this to secure for all who will believe and trust in him alone for their salvation. Election is a wonderful statement of the work of God the Father and God the Son in making possible your victory over death, hell, and Satan. Without this grand doctrine, you would be left on your own to try and live a perfect life in order to please God, to offer an atoning sacrifice that would be acceptable in God's eyes, to win a victory over the greatest foes in this world. If you will be honest with yourself, you'll have to admit you cannot even accomplish one, much less all three. Let's look at this as the Apostle Paul explains the work of Christ. First, we shall see our redemption in the riches of grace. Second, we will find the mystery of his will. And last, we shall observe the reuniting of all things in Christ Jesus. We turn our attention away from what occurred in heaven in regard to our election, and we turn it to this world. Paul has laid out the work of God the Father. Now he presents the work of God the Son. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Paul makes clear, your redemption is centered in Jesus Christ. In him we have redemption. Redemption is deliverance. It comes as a result of the payment of a ransom. Jesus came to pay for your sins, to pay what you could never afford to pay. Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Hebrews 9.14 And for this reason Christ is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. Now why does man need a ransom? Because he was taken captive by sin and made a slave. It was like a family member that had sold himself into slavery in order to pay a debt. To purchase him out of that slavery required a ransom be paid. We think of a ransom as something a kidnapper demands to free his victim. A ransom can also be a judically imposed fine required by the law to free a man that has been found guilty of a crime. The latter is the use of ransom in relation to Christ and our redemption. Jesus paid the price required by God to redeem his people. He paid your fine. He paid the penalty for your sin, a fine you couldn't afford to pay. It's important that you understand this. Jesus didn't pay anything to Satan. He paid the price to God. Some want to say Jesus went to hell and, and paid Satan through his suffering the price for your soul. That's utter nonsense. It was God man offended with his sin. And it was God with whom man needed reconciliation. It was God's law that set the price for rebellion. That price was death. It was through Christ's perfect life and atoning death that the price for your redemption was paid. His perfect life and atoning death was the ransom price for your soul. Only with the satisfaction of God's justice can a soul be saved. There are two important things this redemption gave the elect. 
First, it emancipated them from the curse of death, from the guilt, punishment, and power of sin. Galatians 3.13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone hung on a tree. Jesus came. He took upon himself your responsibility to keep the law. Then he took upon himself your punishment. He carried that curse to the cross in order to free you from the grasp of sin. The second thing he did in this work of redemption was to restore you to true liberty. It was a redemption, as Paul says, through his blood, a redemption which is a substitution. The taking of one life in the place of another. The law established this concept in Leviticus 17.11. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement for your soul. Now please, remember, whenever we're talking about the blood in Scripture, we're talking about death. If you lose your blood, you're dead. So you can substitute death in, the, in wherever blood is used. The author of Hebrews explains it this way in Hebrews 9.22. And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood there is no remission. The only blood, the only blood that could redeem a sinful people would have to be a perfect blood, and it had to come from a perfect man. It's important to remember, you cannot separate the perfect life from the voluntary nature of the sacrifice. Jesus came to lay down his life as an offering for sin. He suffered the eternal punishment due to sin, and he did it vicariously. He did it for those who were by nature children of wrath, for those who did not deserve it. This all mag is all magnified by the fact that Christ came into this world to do many things. Things such as to still the waves of the sea, to cast out demons, to cleanse the lepers, to open the eyes of the blind, to make deaf the to those that hear, that need to hear, to feed the hungry, to heal the sick, and to raise the dead. However, the main purpose of his coming was to seek and save the lost, to give himself a ransom for their redemption. Jesus came down from his home in heaven to die. Peter urges you to remember this and to live a holy life, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, but you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish and without spot. The purpose of this redemption was that you might be freed from sin. It was the, that, that objective in mind that Jesus hung on Calvary's cross and bled and died. So Paul says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. The redemption in blood and the forgiveness of sins go hand in hand. You need to place your hope and trust in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone. That's what salvation is. It's coming to know Christ and to understand he has done for me what I could never do for myself. He lived that perfect life. He died the atoning death. He won the resurrection victory. So open your heart. Open your heart and receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. There's no other way to be reconciled to God. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone who can save. Redemption cannot be complete 
until the offense is removed. This was part of the teaching of the law, Leviticus 16. On the day of atonement, two goats were brought before the altar. One goat was killed, and its blood was to be sprinkled on the mercy seat. The other goat was over whose head the people's sins had been confessed, was sent out of the camp never to return again. The word used for forgiveness here in Ephesians 1.7 means the complete removal of sin. It's done away with. It's gone. Psalm 103.12 As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Isaiah 44.22 I have blotted out like a thick cloud your transgressions and like a cloud your sins. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Jeremiah 31.34 for I will forgive their iniquity and their sins. I will remember no more. I'm telling you what, that's, that's a powerful verse. He's never going to remember your sin again once you have confessed. Micah 7, 19. He will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities. You will cast all our sins into the deep depths of the sea. They're going into that sea of forgetfulness, never to be remembered again. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Come on. Get on your knees tonight and pray and ask God to forgive you of your sins. And when you do, he's going to cleanse you. He's going to wash those sins away. He's going to throw them as far as the east is from the west. You'll never have to worry about those sins again. Now, we have a hard time giving up our sin. We have a hard time forgetting it. But God doesn't. He has made that promise. Some might ask, what are these sins that we're forgiven? The word for sin is a word that literally means falling by the way. A sin is a deviation from the path of truth and righteousness. The Shorter Catechism in answering question 14. What is sin says? Sin is any one of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. If you fail, if you fail to keep a part of God's law, that is sin. It doesn't matter how insignificant that part might be. When you fail in any one point, you fail in the whole. This is the consequence of the fall of man. All men failed to keep God's law in Adam and thus departed from the path of righteousness. In order to be restored to your place with God requires a redeemer. Paul says in Ephesians 2, 1 through 5, you he made alive when you were dead through your trespasses and sins. How does this forgiveness take place? Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance to the riches of God's grace. Forgiveness takes place in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Forgiveness and grace go hand in hand. God's standard of grace establishes the measure of his forgiveness. It's important that you understand. God forgives according to his riches, not just because of his riches. Say we have two men in this congregation, both who are very wealthy. A good cause comes up that we feel we, is our duty to assist with. One of these men gives a very small amount, far less than his ability. He has merely given of his riches. The other man, however, gives a very large sum. He gives according to his riches. 
This is how the Father has given to you. He has given a gift of infinite value because his wealth is infinite. He gave Christ, his only begotten Son, and all that goes with that. He gave according to his riches. God poured out on his people his riches in his only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. Paul, in verses 8 through 9, adds how God gave this gift along with his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to the good pleasure which he purposed in himself. He gave his grace with all wisdom and prudence. 1 Timothy 1.14, And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. The idea of his grace coming in all wisdom and prudence and with faith and love shows it is the grace which kindles or produces faith and love. This is how sin and our need of a Redeemer comes. It also shows that there is only one Savior, Jesus Christ. This goes back to what Paul was saying in verses 4 and 5. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. It was the Father who chose you. He chose you to be holy. He chose you to be blameless, to be his child, a member of his family. He accomplished his purpose through Jesus Christ in his perfect life, atoning death and resurrection victory. He provided in Christ everything, everything you would need in order to be his child, and that includes faith and love. This establishes that the first act in salvation is God's renewing your heart, enabling you to call out to Christ. Without this enabling power, you could never call out in faith because you would have no faith. A man without faith will never seek salvation. This renewing of your heart is what causes you to set your mind on God's redemptive purpose in Christ Jesus, the mystery of his will. What is it Paul says he made known to you? Verse 9. Having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself. Now I don't want to get too deep into this, the mystery of his will at this time. We'll examine that later in great depth. The reason his grace is available is that he made it known. He revealed this wonderful plan of salvation. He didn't want his people to be ignorant of his great riches. This is the greatest story ever told. That of God's grace given through Christ Jesus, and he wanted it known. You can see the difference between the true gospel and those of some cults. Some cults forbid the telling of their truths to the masses. We have secret societies that say you should not know the truth until you have proved yourself and attained a certain level. They bind people with terrible oaths and threats of death if they reveal the secrets. This is not true concerning the mystery of God. It was the Father's will that these things be known by all men. Only as they are known can they penetrate the heart and change the life. God's plan of salvation must be proclaimed because only then can it be received by faith and believed. 
This is why we as Calvinists should be so concerned with missions. God has declared that we are to be the vessels through which his people will hear the mystery. Romans 10, verses 14 and 15. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed in? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? It is through the efforts of men that this mystery is revealed to the masses. It is our responsibility to preach it everywhere we go. This mystery is from the very heart of God. His desire is to have a people unto himself. Paul says it is according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ. He preplanned. He preplanned to save the people unto himself. And here we see that plan being revealed. He would send his only begotten son into this world to do for fallen man what he could never do for himself. And through that work, he would call forth the people unto himself. What a glorious work it is. What a mystery that a holy God would condescend to come down into his own creation and to suffer the agonies of the cross in order to redeem sinners the likes of you and me. Traitors, rebels who had turned their backs on the glory offered them in the garden offered a second chance by a gracious God. This is a mystery beyond our understanding. But it is clearly set before you. Please do not fail to reach out and take hold of it. This plan of the Father, his good pleasure, his cherished purpose, the single delight of his heart prepared in eternity is to be realized in time. Verse 10, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both of which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. Pay attention to this first phrase, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times. We could translate this much simpler. We could say to be administered at the right season. Here is more proof of the sovereign control of the affairs of men by God. God created his world and set it in motion the lives of men. He pre-planned the course of history and at just the right time, in just the right season, he sent Jesus Christ to reveal the full scope of his plan to redeem a people unto himself. This new administration of the covenant of grace is a continuing rule until Christ returns. It was established with a purpose on behalf of God's people. 1 Corinthians 15, 24 and 25. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and all power, for he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. This mystery is the same as the purpose. The purpose is the mystery revealed that Jesus Christ would complete the work of election. Paul expresses the purpose in these words. He might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. Paul will expand this idea later. All we can really say about this mystery now is that it is centers in Jesus Christ and the main element of it is that Christ will be made the head of all things. Everything. Everything in heaven, on earth, Everything around us, above us, below us, whether spiritual or material, 
is now being brought under the rule of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. What we learn in this is that our God is the almighty sovereign creator of all things. He has everything in this world fully under his control. That means your life. Your life was planned before the world was made. It was all planned in Christ. Read Genesis chapter 1. You will see that God has a plan to bring this world into existence. He went from the creation of the sun and moon to the creation of man. He created every creature from the smallest single-cell animal to the biggest and most complex of the beasts. Every bit of this world was made to serve man. It is all gathered together in Christ Jesus. This whole plan was conceived to provide for the crown of God's creation, man. The doctrine of election preceded all the work of creation. Election prepared creation, pre-prepared creation so it could be fulfilled and thus bring glory to God and to Jesus Christ. Never. Never has such a doctrine been put forth that all things were to be under one head. To have all things under one head would stop all the senseless drifting and aimless wandering. It would give a united purpose to this world which at times seems so purposeless. Yes, we see so much suffering that seems to be without cause or purpose. So much agony that afflicts those who outwardly seem to be innocent of any charge. Bringing all things together under one banner would give a purpose to this chaotic world. It would wipe away all the tears and deliver all the captives. It would give sight to the blind and hearing to the deaf. It would open the way to love and understanding. God created this world as just such a place. Man was put in charge and he made a mess of it. Now God's purpose in Christ Jesus is to remake that place with a people chosen in eternity. A people with a new heart and a new desire. In conclusion, understand, we are a people with more blessings than we can count. We live in the best of times. We have a wealth of historical information at our fingertips. We can read and study over 10,000 years of human history. We can see the mess man has made time and again. We have the completed revelation of God in the scripture. Count the wars and the people slaughtered in the, uh, those wars. Look at the despots like Nero, Timberlane the Turk, Ivan the Terrible of Russia, Maximilian Rospier of France, Joseph Stalin, Adolf Hitler, Bayotis Zidong, Paul Pot, Idi Amin, and others that have ruled and the carnage they caused. Man, when trying to do things on his own, has failed. And the reason he continues to fail and all he tries to do is his sinful nature. Jesus Christ alone offers you freedom from such chaos and carnage. This is the joy election produces in the hearts of believers. Place your hope, place your trust in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone. For your success will always be found in his strength, not your own. He alone can save your soul from such chaos. Let's pray. Grant us, Heavenly Father. 
comfort in our lives as brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. Help us to persevere in prayer. Give us a desire to read your word and learn from its wisdom. Bring us to the completion of our work in service to you. Now to him who is able to establish us by the gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all nations might believe and obey him. To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen.